First overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars choose the Midwesterners. I'm Chad Coffin. And I'm Brian Stoffel. Welcome back to another week of nerdiness and sports and news and brackets as we've had in the last couple of weeks. Let's make it quick. Midwesterners, M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N-E-R-D-S at Midwesterners on Twitter and Instagram and at gmail.com. The Midwesterners podcast on Facebook. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review us. It helps us get out there to more people who want to listen, even if they don't know it yet. Brian, take it away. Our first news story, Russell Crowe has confirmed what role he's going to be playing in Thor, Love and Thunder. In an interview this past week, he said, It's my last day of Zeusing about, and I'm going to enjoy it. So now we have... <laughs> A little on the nose there. We Russell. have Norse mythology mixing with the Greek gods and Zeus, and Titans, and all that stuff. It should be a wild ride. This movie comes out next year. I think one thing that makes this really cool casting, or a character that he'll be playing, is I think this opens the door for the potential of Hercules. Uh, showing up in a Thor movie or another movie down the road, which is which is pretty cool. I had not considered that, but yeah, that he does fit in there. And Russell Crowe does an awesome job with these types of roles. I mean, when he was Jor El, uh, Superman's dad, he was like the best part of Man of Steel, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Even back to his days of Gladiator, like this isn't his first rodeo. He should be laying down some lightning on the God of Thunder. Also, we talked about the MODOK TV series that's coming to Hulu. They dropped the trailer this past week, which was a minute and a half trailer that told the basic plot of the show. So it's MODOK trying to save his family and his marriage while also being like the quote unquote greatest supervillain in the Marvel Universe. It's got that robot chicken flair to it. And I like that it's like, a supervillain, but also like a modern day comedy mixed into the mix. I was watching the trailer and they had this song playing in the background and I was like, gosh, this sounds eerily familiar. To then find out that the song that they used in the trailer was a cover of Semi-Charmed Life by Three-Eyed Blind, but the people doing the cover was none other than my favorite band, Four Years Strong. They announced that that was them doing the song in the trailer and that they're also going to have music in the show as well. Love seeing my boys getting some decent exposure, some Marvel-level exposure, and just makes me more excited for that show. Keeping on the Disney realm, we talked about Sony making a big and epic deal with Netflix. Now, they've also made a deal with Disney. So Disney has set a massive movie licensing pact with Sony Pictures for the U.S. that promises to bring Spider-Man and other Marvel properties to Disney Plus, starting with Sony's 2022 release slate. This wide-ranging deal, which runs through Sony's 2026 theatrical slate, 
also calls for Sony titles to run across Disney's array of streaming and linear platforms, including Disney Plus, Hulu, FX Networks, ABC, Disney Channels, and Freeform. The Disney deal covers the subsequent TV windows, meaning that the titles will land on Netflix first, about nine months after the start of a film's theatrical run. So Sony's getting their butts covered to make sure that their movies will continue to make them money and continue to get that exposure. We talked about how that deal with Netflix was a little shady with Sony being like, hey, we can flirt over here on the side. Who better to flirt with than the mongrel mouse himself, Disney? Um, this like this news turned Netflix into the side piece. Oh, it definitely <laughs> did. <laughs> oh my goodness, we have such a strong relief. Oh, okay. Whatever you want, Walt. <laughs> we talked about before about which streaming services are going to make it out in the end, and it, of course, Disney is going to make it out in the end. It'll be interesting to see if Sony sticks with Disney in the long run, which would make all the more sense. It's good news for people who love the Spider-Man movies, too, because Disney and Sony are working together not only to make the movies, but to distribute the movies as well. So it's it's only good news from there, I would I would assume, as far as getting more Spider-Man content in the MCU. Keeping on with some more MCU news. If you kept up with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think it's been pretty much everywhere if you're not caught up at this point that Falcon is indeed the new Captain America. What? I'm just kidding. I watched it. <laughs> I'm the TV this time. And it's all over the internet, so this isn't really a spoiler to anyone. But they announced that the, instead of a Captain America and the Winter Soldier Season 2, it's now going to be Captain America 4 the movie. This is being written by Malcolm Spellman, who was the head writer and creator of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as Dan Muson, a staff writer on the series as well. That's the only news that they have announced so far about Captain America 4. The funny thing is, is I feel like the star of both this show and then this upcoming movie is the last to find out any of this news. When he was on The Late Show earlier this week, Stephen Colbert was like, hey, I got your your nifty Captain America action figure here. And he's like, I haven't even seen that yet. Like <laughs> the fact that the late night host gets a copy of the figure before the star. And then in another interview, Anthony Mackie also said that he didn't even know that there was going to be a Captain America 4 until his grocer was talking about it in the grocery store with him. So again, your star of the movie, the last to know, doesn't always look good, but good news is we're getting another Captain America movie. Love it or hate it, Anthony Mackin's your new captain now. I loved it. I'm sure my co-host loved it, and I'm looking forward to see what's next. Speaking of what's next, we got some local news. If you are in the Wisconsin uh, Midwest area. Some sad news happened last year when Rock USA and Country USA announced that they had filed bankruptcy, and then we thought that was going to be the end of that. Well, some good news came this week when Danny Wimmer Presents announced that they have signed a long-term lease in Oshkosh to bring outdoor live music back to the area, renaming it the Ford Park Live. 
In 2022 and beyond, DWP's vision for Ford Park Live is to create and develop new annual festivals at the site, as well as to attract unique concert experiences that will have wide appeal in the region marketplace. DWP has built a strong reputation in the live entertainment industry for being one of the most innovative festival creators, developers, and producers in the country. With 10 successful annual festivals and counting to their name, DWP is one of the most trusted names in the market. They have already announced concerts that are going to be happening on the old Rock USA grounds, the new newly named Ford Park Live grounds, starting already in June. So on Saturday, June 26th, Chevelle, Seven Dust, Fever, 333, Dirty Honey, Tetrarch and Austin Mead will be performing. And on Sunday, June 27th, Hailstorm, Miles Kennedy, Blackstone Cherry, Aaron Jones from Ashes to New, and Eva Under Fire are going to be performing. So we got a mini rock festival already planned for June. They've announced that there's going to be social distancing pods at this concert so that you can safely attend it. You couldn't have had better news about this. I mean, I was bummed that Rock USA was no more, went out of business, and I didn't know if we'd ever get that level of festival back into our area. So not only is it good to hear that it is coming back, but being bought by a company that is known to be one of the best festival creators in the country, nothing but good news here. And, you know, something to think about too, it's always been weird that like Country USA is an Oshkosh. It's always been weird, less weird that Rock USA came following Country USA, but I can even remember when I was little and where where I live, where I had lived with my parents, where my parents still live now on the north side of Oshkosh, we could sit out back and listen to the concerts at the Winnebago County Fairgrounds where it used to be. And then the, it had grown so much that they moved to what was Ford Festival Park on the south side of town across from the EAA grounds. And then now obviously they renamed it uh, Ford Park Live. It still to me is so weird that a, a huge, like one of the biggest country and rock festivals in the country is in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Like it's so weird that these huge names, like I saw Kiss live in my hometown. That's wild to say. And I don't live in New York. We don't live in Chicago. We don't live in Minneapolis. Like, it's Oshkosh. Yeah, usually we'd have to drive hours to get to any of these. Like, I remember before I even knew that Rock USA was a thing, like before I was in college and went to Oshkosh, mm -hmm. we had to drive to Kadat, Wisconsin, to Rock Fest. Yep. And that was like a two-hour drive, two, two-and-a-half-hour drive just to get to that. So then to go to school in Oshkosh and have Rock USA right in the backyard. It's like, why not? So especially when you can get some deals from local vendors to kind of hook you up, get you in the door and not have to pay that full premium price. I mean, you do occasionally and sometimes. <laughs> Evidently, I no longer have a hookup. So you never know. You never know. I'll, supp I'll supply the brats. There, there we go. Oh, that'll be my end. <laughs> I supply the the brats for the T-Rats now. Oh, nice. So it's only a hop, skip, and a jump away. I mean, you did it once before. Who's to say it won't happen again, you know? Exactly. So all good news for live entertainment in our area. If you're in the Wisconsin, Fox Valley, Oshkosh area, Rock USA is gone, but the Ford Park Live lives on.
And that is your news for this week. Run away from the newsstand and right around the corner because you know what time it is. What, what? comics corner? What, what? Comics. We still don't have a theme song. We got to get Elvon on that. We'll just pull something off of SoundCloud and we'll just like replace some of the lyrics in his songs with <laughs> comics corner. What? Um, so as we wrap up Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for you, those of you who have watched it, for those of you who haven't, our comics corner focus this week is a character that was in the final episode. She was also in the second to last episode. So we are going to talk about her because when she was on the screen, Brian and I both at the same time when watching the show had the resounding hmm. Cause we had no idea who she was. The fact that our significant others were like, who the fuck is that? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Portrayed by who was it? Julia Marie Dreyfus. Uh, that's her name. Uh, from Seinfeld and Veep uh, is Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, otherwise known as Val, but don't call her that. So this character came to us kind of as a hanger on, not necessarily a hanger on to what is now, uh, like we talked about, even before the show really got started, U.S. agent. We broke that here first. We talked about it before it was on the show. So I'm going to break that news here because we can. She's kind of got the Nick Fury vibe to her of let's recruit some people, which is very fitting because as we'll get into, this character and Nick Fury have a intertwined past. So, La Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, her name seems more like it's like Louisiana or French, but that's not the case. So, she had her first appearance in Strange Tales 159 back in August of 67. She's a citizen of Italy for now, and a member of the European jet set. Uh, Both parents were killed after aiding an unspecified resistance movement in Europe. Not to let them have died in vain with their efforts as resistance fighters and fighting for the the right people, uh, she travels overseas and joins up with S.H.I.E.L.D. Close to the end of her training, she actually meets Nick Fury, and he's impressed by um, her when she tosses him head over heels with a judo throw off after he makes an untoward remark about female agents. He says something snarky about women in S.H.I.E.L.D. He gets tossed across the helicarrier. And then the two eventually became lovers. So the vibes that were really there when you saw her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like we, you and I had even been like, man, what's Fury doing in heels? Like it was very much <laughs> like long draping coat and, and, you know, that kind of attitude, the way they had shot it. She very quickly becomes a leader in S.H.I.E.L.D. At one point was appointed the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Femme Force. So like the female faction of S.H.I.E.L.D. She was appointed to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s U.K. or as U.K.'s uh, liaison. She was tasked to provide support to the British Superhero Union Jack, Israel's Sabra, Saudi Arabia's Saudi King, to stop raid the radical advanced ideas in destruction terrorist attack on London. So that's when she gets put like as the head of um, a group to support these superheroes to stop this terrorist attack. She also worked to create the British version of the Superhuman Registration Act, kind of like, hey, this is what happened in America and this is what went bad, blah, 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 this, that, or the other thing. So now we'll flash forward to Secret Invasion. During Secret Invasion, a scroll actually posed as her to spy on Fury. As he does, Fury grew suspicious and killed the scroll. 
not knowing for sure one way or another until when killed reverting back to its original form. He goes, Oh, that's close call. Anyways, after the death of Captain America, another scroll posed as her and approached Dum Dum Dugan to find the location of Fury. He's like, I don't know. I don't have any idea. The scroll then produces Wolverine like claws, kills Dugan and throws him in the river and then assumes his form. Again, we're getting kind of tangent, but that's in the same line. After the progression of everything with Secret Invasion, eventually Dugan, who wasn't dead, and Contessa are both released by the Skrulls along with the other humans. So then we forge ahead to Secret Warriors. So Fury, Nick Fury with S.H.I.E.L.D., is at the time fighting against Norman Osborn's hammer, which never before for me has come up a super consistently but now already more than one comics corner has referenced norman osborne's hammer uh so maybe we have to do an episode on that so it's shown that hydra during this this battle it's shown that hydra had controlled shield the entire time so fontaine actually becomes the new madam hydra after it's revealed that she had been a russian mole working for the former Soviet Union's Leviathan, which is kind of like the villain version of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Russia. She killed the current Madam Hydra, takes over, and then actually the battle goes on, Hydra falls, and after her fall, Fury actually ends up attempting to rescue her from jail with their past and their history. There is a lot to unpack in this, and I'll be very, very, very curious to see what she has to do with, like you said, the recruiting side of things, the S.H.I.E.L.D. side of things, because S.H.I.E.L.D. is still, to my knowledge, is not, like, existing right now in the MCU. Uh, Who knows with the mole stuff, with her being a Russian mole, not really from Italy, yada yada, Madam Hydra stuff, but a lot of the things up here being Nick Fury's former lover, being a leader of S.H.I.E.L.D., having led her own S.H.I.E.L.D. teams, uh, different divisions in different uh, places in the country. It'd be very surprising not to see her in a really impactful role, especially after us seeing her basically recruit or create the U.S. agent at the end of the final episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Take this with a grain of salt, because I don't know if it is true or not. But I did hear that she was supposed to have appeared in Black Widow when Black Widow was supposed to have come out before Falcon and Winter Soldier. So her appearance in Falcon and Winter Soldier wasn't supposed to have been so like, who are you and what are you doing here? Because you were supposed to have already seen her in Black Widow. And if you know anything about Black Widow, she's got some very um, Russian based past experiences so maybe we do get some of that triple agent type stuff with her being in russia because since this is a lot of flashbacks going on in black widow maybe that's where she pops up maybe she's recruiting taskmaster or red guardian or whoever in that movie to also be a part of whatever she's building right now with u.s agent I think another thing that this points out too is like we continue to get more connections to Secret Invasion. It'll be really curious to see what happens because the way that they've really painted the scrolls as being like tight knit with Fury and stuff will cause for that storyline to be a little muddled, in my opinion. But Again, having another character who links very closely to Secret Invasion and the Skrulls, I think we're continuing to just develop a story that could lead us to that. And I've always, for the longest time, thought that Secret Invasion could very much be the next big Avengers-like event. 
I feel exactly the same way because it was that big event in the books. I mean, after your Civil War big event story, the next big event to come out was Secret Wars, where you had Secret Invasion. Or Secret Invasion, yes. Where you had people like Tony Stark and um, Spider Woman and whatnot, like all of a sudden doing things that you're like, wait, what's like, they don't do that stuff to find out, oh, they've been a scroll either part of the time or the majority of the last like 10, 12, how many years. So I feel very much like you where I felt like that was like the next big movie event. Maybe the series is what kicks it off. As soon as they announced it, I was like, how are they going to do this when you just have Nick Fury, the scroll from Captain Marvel one and like one or two other people that we haven't really heard of before. Like, how do you do Secret Invasion that small in TV unless there's more that just hasn't been announced yet? Like, oh, we we do have, like, a lot of the hero cast in or your smaller type Bucky, uh, Hawkeye type level actors that we can bring in to be these heroes. So it'll be interesting to see her role if she pops up in that. I think it would be the perfect opportunity for her to pop up in that, given what we said about her past relationship to Nick Fury in the comics. And she seems to be having her hands in a lot of different behind the scenes stuff within these shows already. I mean, she could easily pop up in Loki. She could easily pop up in Hawkeye now. Whatever shows come out this year on Disney Plus recruiting for who knows what. People have said either Thunderbolts or Dark Avengers. I could see it being kind of a mix of both. Like, unless you do have Thunderbolt Ross, like, leading the Thunderbolts, I could see it very much being like, we're going to take villains to make this team, but since everybody knows Avengers, we'll call them the Dark Avengers. Sure. This, uh, this character for being, like, a quick snapshot in this show after reading all this, like we do even just, and we only went into like a five minute tangent. There are so many other possibilities to add into that. That is what we'll leave you with. We don't want to plant our flag too firmly into something we don't even have 100% grasp on up until doing a little bit of research. So, since we didn't even know this character before she even showed up. Right, like we were just like two weeks ago. But that is the end of your Comics Corner for this week. Stay tuned to who we have coming up. It could very well be timely connected to the shows on Disney Plus or movies that are coming out soon. You've been listening. You've been voting. You've been waiting every week to find out who advanced in the Battle of the Bros buddy bracket. We are finally down to reveal the winner, the champion of the friend face-off, the battle of the bros, the brawl of the besties. But before we do that, we're going to go through and we're going to talk about each of the rounds and the upsets that we thought were upsets and ones that we didn't expect. Let's start off on the left-hand side. One that I was thought pretty simple and actually one that got more votes than I thought were Shaggy and Scooby taking out Calvin and Hobbs. I didn't expect Calvin and Hobbs to get any votes, but they got three. They went down nine to three. I didn't expect at any point the potential for Scoob and Shag to get knocked out that early, but it was even weird to me to see a couple of votes. I think it came down to the matchup too. Like there are a lot of closeted Calvin and Hobbs fans out there that might have more attachments and more feelings towards Calvin and Hobbs than 
uh, a Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, like, or yeah. even just um, the Dumb and Dumber duo. Sure. Like, they could have advanced, but I wasn't really surprised when it was put up against Shaggy and Scooby. Next one, again, another close one. Not quite close. Eight to four, Cap and Bucky beat out Joey and Chandler. I think longevity is the thing that wins this. I mean, they're friends through thick and thin. Joey and Chandler through their 20s and 30s, Captain America and Bucky for 100 plus years. <laughs> um, so that one to me was was almost a no-brainer. Plus, I hate friends. So, Not discrediting our listeners at all, but whenever we go into stuff like this, I always think that the people participating are like, which one do I like more? Instead of sure. like weighing out the actual pros and cons of whatever this battle or bracket is supposed to be. So in that sense, I felt like it could have been a little bit closer. I felt like Joey and Chandler being like the stars of friends, like arguably two of the most popular characters on that show and how popular friends still kind of is. I expected maybe a little bit closer, but in the end I, with how big Marvel is right now, like, I expected Bucky and Cap to go at least get out of this round. Next up was our only tie of the bracket, which was Harry and Lloyd and Wayne and Garth. And your Midwesterners chose to push through Harry and Lloyd. There is still a clamoring about the semifinals, about how it wasn't closer and how Harry and Lloyd, spoiler, didn't make it out of the semifinals. But this one's six to six. I'm a big I'm a big uh, Wayne's World fan. Not as much Dumb and Dumber, but again, like you've said, we got to remove ourselves from what we like and just really focus on those friendships. So a tie makes a lot of sense to me. It was very close. Yeah. Again, I expected Wayne and Garth to go a lot farther than Harry and Lloyd. I didn't expect Harry and Lloyd to go past the first round, let alone all the way to the semifinals. And every time that they just kept advancing, 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 I was like, what? What? But it's like we talked about. When you actually think about what the bracket is, it's comparing the two friends. It's not comparing the characters against another character, the other characters, and who do you like better. It's who's the better friend in the end. And when it came down to it, Wayne throws Garth under the bus a number of times in both movies. Harry and Lloyd never do that. Mm-hmm. The next one, and again, to your point too, this one threw me. Nine to three, Harry and Ron take out Frodo and Sam. While both friendships are really strong, I feel like the strongest relationship is Sam to Frodo. I wouldn't say Sam and Frodo. I think uh, back and forth, Harry and Ron have a better relationship. But Sam literally put Frodo on his back. <laughs> to carry him for the end of the journey. That man cares about Frodo more than my dad cares about me, but (laughs) but he's he's more than, you know, shown that he really, really cares for Frodo. Frodo is wishy-washy from time to time, but Harry and Ron, I think that's the reason they stuck it out is because it's not one-sided where to me, the Frodo and Sam relationship is very one-sided. Which I hadn't really considered until now when you said that, because for me, this was one of the biggest upsets. If I was doing this bracket myself and picking who went where, Frodo and Sam, for me, were making it to the finals because... Do you want to stack the bracket to make sure? (laughs) I would have set it up differently. Okay. I'm not saying I would have set it up differently, but if I was participating by myself in this bracket, if I was doing my March Madness type, all right, let's set this whole thing up and 
who do I think is going to go how far? I would have put Frodo and Sam a heck of a lot farther than being knocked out in the first round. But when you do bring in that point that, you know, Sam was there for Frodo more than Frodo was ever there for Sam throughout that series, it does make sense. We'll keep pushing through on the same side. Gooby and Shaggy then face off against Cap and Bucky. This one a little bit stronger this time in the way of Scooby and Shaggy. 10-5 to 5 pushes them through to the semifinals. This one, again, with it being more relevant, you would think Cap and Buck get the vote. But I think a lot of our listeners are the same frame of mind and age bracket that we are, where Scooby-Doo and Shaggy were a huge part of like our childhood. Those guys are thick and thin. Like Those guys, I don't think, ever turned on one another at any point in time. To be fair, the only reason why Bucky ever turned on Cap was because he was brainwashed. I mean, if Scooby is brainwashed, I think he's going to go full old yeller towards the end of that movie <laughs> on Shaggy. So this wasn't... Like, like man. <laughs> <laughs> but this was another upset for me because, I don't know, I still feel that bond between Sam... Not Sam. Between... I'm still stuck on <laughs> Sam and Frodo. I'll never forget. No, I was... I was in the habit now of saying Sam and Buck Oh, well, all right. in newer times, but no, between Steve and Bucky, I feel like, I don't know, I, I still ship them harder than I do Shaggy and Scooby, so this was a big upset for me. And then Harry and Lloyd up against Harry and Ron, the Battle of the Harrys. Uh, sounds weird. This one, like we had said, this one I thought was done. It was set in the books. Six to eight going to, uh, or sorry, six to seven going in the way of Harry and Ron, but with two late entries on Tuesday night to the point so late that I forgot to change the PowerPoint before I sent it on on Friday and jacked it up. But yes, uh, Harry and Lloyd make their way on to the semifinals, eight to seven to Harry and Ron. I give credit to our listeners because it's the same thing that I'm going to keep saying every time for Harry and Lloyd, the fact that like, they stick with each other through thick and thin, through everything, where, again, Harry's thrown Ron to the wolves, and Ron has also thrown Harry to the wolves a couple times. Like, they didn't always see eye to eye, and they clashed a couple times throughout those seven books, eight movies. I expected it to be Harry and Ron based off the popular vote, but our listeners chose to actually consider what this bracket is and they go do their jobs yeah and go with the in the end the right choice and then last but not least for the left side we have the semifinals of scooby and shaggy and harry and lloyd unfortunately the cinderella story could not carry themselves all the way to the finals harry and lloyd fall to scooby and shaggy six to three this one just surprises me because of how big of a following harry and lloyd had with our listeners but people were like bringing it to me at work they're like there's no way they could lose right i'm like you're gonna have to wait till friday to be pissed like (laughs) after this one but uh again shaggy and scooby have been like that that sleeper hit that they're gonna make it a few rounds maybe one or two rounds and then they're gonna be done and they end up being that team that makes it to the finals and you're like what how but okay a true underdog if you will yeah heading over to the other side of the bracket first we start in a galaxy far far away with han and chewy against c3po and r2d2 
This one I don't think was very fair. This one should have been a lot closer, I think. So Han and Chewie take it 10 to 2. C3PO is one of maybe a small handful of people who can actually understand R2. It's like Luke and C3PO. And Luke, I think it just goes off of the beeps and the attitude of R2, where C3PO, I really think, understands him to the point where R2 literally saved a hard drive of C-3PO's memories of him and together so that he could remember. So when he gets fried in the, the sequels, he just reboots and he goes, here you go, buddy. I remember you. But no, they go down 10 to 2 to Han and Chewie. This wasn't a surprise to me. Uh, again, my expectations going into this bracket ended up being true for this matchup of which one do people like more. I feel like if C-3PO and R2 were in a different matchup, Maybe they would have went a little farther, but in this matchup, it's Han and Chewie all the way. Next was what I thought was going to be our first sweep, but one individual made it not so. So we had an 11-1 to win by Jay and Silent Bob over Mary and Pippin. I don't know why someone voted for Mary and Pippin. These ones were all that one. Of all the ones that were on here, that one was probably one of my throwaways. I was like, I guess I'll put it on here because I came up with it. 10 minutes before we started the show that night. So much so that if I had more time, they would have never even made it onto this bracket. I've gotten so many suggestions now, so many suggestions and so many ones that we've thought of. We have a whole nother volume two electric boogaloo of the, of the book, the buddy bracket that we'll be able to do. But yes, 11 to one, my beloved Jay and silent Bob, my hetero life mates head on to the next round. See, you expected a sweep because of your love for Jay and Silent Bob. Blind faith. But I honestly expected this to be a little bit closer. Jay and Silent Bob are kind of a niche audience. And granted, our listeners are part of that niche audience. The majority of our listeners. They're still... Your common listener would probably vote for Mary and Pippin over Jay and Silent Bob. Because our common listener probably has seen The Lord of the Rings the standard cut and none of Jay and Silent Bob. They're probably like, who is Jay and Silent Bob? So I was actually surprised that this was an almost sweep because when you think about relevancy, I thought Mary and Pippin were a little more relevant than Jay and Silent Bob. But again, at the end of the day, I felt like this could have gone either way. So headed down into the lower quadrant of the right bracket. Sean and Corey from Boy Meets World face down Timon and Pumbaa. Timon and Pumbaa came out on top 10 to 2. This was a big swing. I'm not a Boy Meets World guy, so to me this was a no-brainer. But again, for those people who watch the show who know more of Sean and Corey, I know they've gone through a lot together. They've had to, like, prove it, tried and true. And from time to time, Timon can kind of be a dick to Pumbaa. If you really oh, absolutely. pick things apart in that show or the movie. I think this came down to the matchup. While Boy Meets World was popular, especially with our generation, Timon and Pumbaa are timeless. Yes. So the fact that you put Sean and Corey up against Timon and Pumbaa, if Corey and Sean would have came out on top in the end, that would have been the biggest upset, I think. It would have been the true underdogs taken out. So if if you would have had like Corey and Sean against Calvin and Hobbes, I think it maybe would have they would have had a few more votes. Sure. But at the end of the day, you you can't be timeless. I mean, Timon and Pumbaa or Corey and Sean. Heck, even I would have voted for Timon and Pumbaa. 
and I liked Boy Meets World. Last but not least in the first round, we have Buzz and Woody against SpongeBob and Patrick. Old animated besties to new animated besties. And Buzz and Woody took it eight to four. I don't know why I'm talking so suspensefully, as if people haven't don't know, haven't been voting, <laughs> and haven't listened. This surprised me. I I thought it was gonna be a lot closer. And I thought that SpongeBob and Patrick were gonna take it out in the end because I think SpongeBob and Patrick at this point have more exposure. Not saying quality wise, but quantity wise, SpongeBob's everywhere. Toy Story is when there's a new movie out, but once that movie's done and gone, so are the characters. Where SpongeBob tends to stick around a lot longer. So I expected SpongeBob and Patrick to be that upset to take down Woody and Buzz, but was pleasantly surprised that they didn't. Back to the top, Han and Chewie versus Jay and Silent Bob. It hurt my heart, but going into this, I knew what was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to go this poorly. 12 to 3 in the way of Han and Chewie to head into the semifinals. Again, I think this is this bodes even more so to what you had said about the first round. Like more people know Lord of the Rings than they know Jay and Silent Bob, like the Kevin Smith verse. Way more people know the Star Wars universe over the Kevin Smith universe. So now that I try to take my emotion out of it, yes, I think it makes a little more sense. It's going to break your heart to hear this, but this is where I expected the sweep. I expected Han and Chewie to get all of the votes here, but the fact that Jay and Silent Bob got three, I mean, that's saying something. Don't, three I don't people, want you, don't patronize me. Three people like Jay and Silent Bob more than Han and Chewie and thought that they were more deserving of it than... Han and Chewie, so... I don't know. Han Solo's never tucked his wiener between his legs and sang to Goodbye Horses. (laughs) Then we also have the animated matchup at the bottom. Timon and Pumbaa against Woody and Buzz. We didn't really talk about this much in the first one. Woody and Buzz throughout the first movie were not friends until like like the last three minutes, and they might not have even been friends. They were just kind of like acquaintances that helped each other survive. So it wasn't until later movies that they were really friends. Where Timon and Pumbaa, Timon can be mean from time to time, but they were friends forever, uh, which is why they took it eight to seven to head into the semifinals. And if you think about it, Woody and Buzz, while the idea is there that they are the best of friends through thick and thin. They wrote a damn song about it. If you look at those movies, though, like you said, they hated each other throughout three-fourths of the first movie. The second movie, Woody was off doing his own thing while Buzz and the gang were trying to find him. The third movie, Woody was off on his own while Buzz and the gang were stuck at the... the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, at the daycare trying to figure shit out. And then in the fourth movie, Woody is off with Bo Peep doing his own thing while Buzz and the gang are trying to find him. So the majority of their time spent in those movies, they're not even together. So when you think about it, Timon and Pumbaa was the, the correct choice. All right, and last but certainly not least from this side of the bracket, our first sweep of the buddy bracket pushes Han and Chewie over Timon and Pumbaa to head into the finals. A no-brainer. The vote is in and of itself. What else are you going to say? Yeah, again. When you had to face down people like R2-D2, C-3PO, Jay and Silent Bob, it really doesn't compare to going up against Corey and Sean and SpongeBob and Patrick. Like... 
Yeah, Han and Chewie at this point, actually throughout this whole bracket, they've been like, like what's the big basketball? Like Duke? The one seed, the favorites, the North Carolina, the Duke. Yep. Like Kansas in the right years. Yeah, so yeah, Han and Chewie have definitely been that number one pick, I think, throughout most of this. Shaggy and Scooby, on the other hand, which we'll get to, again, they're kind of the underdog in this situation. All right, folks, you've waited patiently. You were listening. You were waiting. Hopefully you didn't scrub through this. You waited the extra 20 minutes for us to get to this. The finale of Han and Chewie versus Shaggy and Scooby. A brown-haired white guy and his furry friend. The votes went back and forth. As I took votes for the last week, Team A, Team B, Team A, Team B. Team B, Team A, Team A, Team A, Team B, Team A, Team B, Team B, Team B. It came down neck and neck until the last vote. Six to six. Six for Han and Chewie. Six for Shaggy and Scooby until the final vote came in. And it came by email that said, I'm probably going against the grain here. Uh, I'm probably the outlier here. But I'm going to choose. Insert a drum roll here, Brian. Your champions from the Battle of the Bros buddy bracket, seven to six, are Scooby and Shaggy. What? Scooby and Shaggy, best Captain America, Calvin and Hobbes, Harry and Lloyd, and then the Goliath, the favorite to win this whole thing, Han and Chewie, to take the championship belt. Wow. Wow. This was... This isn't like edited shock and surprise, by the way. Brian knows <laughs> none of these until I come to him each week with it. So he is he's aghast, if you will. Again, I'm expecting that Duke team to take it all the way like they do every year. Wow. I'm I'm shocked. The only the only <laughs> the only updates I had all week about this was when you reached out to me and you were like, can you reach out to this person? Because <laughs> to Dr. Dickhead, <laughs> this was what he sent me for the vote. And it was Shaggy and Scooby dressed as Han and Chewie. I was pissed. I'm like, <laughs> this doesn't help at all. I even emailed them back. I'm like, this means nothing. The biggest troll answer you could have gotten. Getting high on the source. We got to get him back on the show and knock him down a couple pegs. So, after one, two, three, four weeks of waiting, a month of waiting to find out your champions for what is now the first round of the buddy bracket, the volume one are Shaggy and Scooby. We will put them on a mantle. We'll make sure to go to Crown and Trophy and get a, a plaque made with their faces in honor of them and hang it in the Fortress of Solid Dude as long as we're still here. Get your foot long, lay in the grass, and enjoy the victory while it lasts. While it <laughs> lasts. Yo, and all you weightlifting chads and brads have waited around long enough because it's time for the ch 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 Chadillac Folks, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but Shoei Otani is in the news again. He is the first pitcher to start a game as a pitcher while leading the MLB in home runs since none other than Babe Ruth. Wow. What company to hope? You know, and this kid is young. He's talented. It's going to be crazy to see what this guy can do. I mean, back in the day when players played 
pitcher, catcher, batter, shortstop. Every week was different. It's it's crazy to see, but um, good for that kid. Hopefully he keeps on grinding. Second thing we want to talk about this week is the kind of fun, different thing that's happening on uh, ESPN Plus this week. So on May 3rd, the Golden State Warriors and New Orleans Pelicans, that's next week, Monday, will square off. And you'll be able to watch the matchup on ESPN, and it very well could be a great, entertaining NBA game. But you might have way more fun if you watch it on ESPN2, ESPN+, or ESPN Deportes instead. A Marvel-themed Arena of Heroes broadcast will air on those platforms on what will be just the second occasion that ESPN Plus has streamed a live NBA game. Superheroes including Black Panther, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Captain Marvel will appear while commentators will call the game from a Marvel-themed studio. There will be a Marvel storyline running through the game as the Avengers will hold a series of contests where the winners earn the right to train and fight alongside them as Marvel champions. That is according to ESPN from Yahoo's finance page. It's cool. It's something different. I think it's very much along the lines of the playoff game last year that they put on Nickelodeon. Slime's blasting. SpongeBob is in the field goal post. The field looks different, obviously, for the NFL players. For those of kids who are listening, plug your ears. It was exactly the same. But being able to do things on the TV to get a younger generation more engaged in sports again, I think is really cool. Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool idea. And the big thing that I pulled out of this is, oh, we can actually watch a live NBA game on ESPN+. Plus Because when I got the ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Hulu bundle together... I was under the impression that, oh, I have ESPN Plus. I should be able to watch like ESPN Live games with that too. I and I was sadly disappointed when the Bucks finally came back from COVID. And I was like, oh, I could sit, actually sit down and watch this game. Nope. Well, the Bucks are a whole <laughs> other thing. Is the Bucks with their FSN Wisconsin deal and whatever. But if you do have the Disney Plus package with ESPN and Hulu Plus, Hulu Plus does have a bunch of live sports on it too. So you'll actually be able to watch more NBA and sports games through Hulu than you will actually with the ESPN Plus app. It's just due to contract negotiations. It's weird. Like that. So, oh, absolutely. It, maybe it's for another time, but I'll have to figure out what the point of ESPN Plus is then if you can't watch sports. <laughs> the full library of 30 for 30s. That's what I'll tell you. Every 30 for 30 is in there, and it is totally worth it if you like sports. Except the best sports documentary is uh, The Last Dance, which is on Netflix. What is the point of ESPN Plus? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> this week, actually going to happen after you listen to us, the NFL Draft is this week. And I thought it'd be fun to just go through a couple of fun facts from the NFL Draft. We could talk about Trevor Lawrence, and we could talk about Justin Fields, and we could talk about Mac, blah, 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 about all the quarterbacks in this draft and things like that. But if you listen to this show in a couple of weeks, all the drafts will have already happened. The players will be on their teams. It's not going to matter. So what we're going to do instead is I'm going to fill you in with some fun, fun facts, which I think are pretty fun. You'll have to let me know if you agree. The first fun fact is the first draft was in 1936 at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Philadelphia. All nine teams were in attendance. The Eagles had the first pick, and only 27 of the 81 players drafted ever played in a real NFL game. <laughs> 1936 was wild. <laughs> Three schools are currently tied for the most number one overall picks. Notre Dame, USC, and Oklahoma all have had five number one picks since the draft began. In the first 69 drafts, 
only 15 Hall of Famers were drafted number one overall. There's only been three drafts prior to this one, which is a hypothetical guess that there's going to be three quarterbacks drafted one, two, and three. There's only been three other drafts in NFL history that have gone quarterback one, two, and three. Six number one picked QBs have won Super Bowls. Joe Namath, Terry Bradshaw, Jim Plunkett, Troy Aikman, John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Eli Manning. It killed me to put Peyton Manning on that list because I hate him, but it's a fact, so it's not an opinion, so it's fine. I always think it's funny that you hate Peyton Manning more than you hate Eli Manning because I always think that it's the other way around with everyone else. <sighs> Eli Manning is just a chud. He's just <laughs> he's fine. He exists. Plus, he's the, he's the Brady Slayer, so we got to give him his credit. Peyton Manning is just another podcast. <laughs> so... To go off of the number one picked quarterbacks, we're also going to talk about the lowest drafted quarterbacks to ever win a Super Bowl. And a hometown hero, the lowest drafted QB to ever win a Super Bowl, with in 1956 with the 200th overall pick, Bart Starr. Wow, 200? 200th. You are pick number 200. And he's like, fuck you. <laughs> Um, then, crazy to think, in 2000, at pick number 199, Tom Brady. Wow. Yeah, for those of you who didn't know that, I know a lot of people know that he was drafted late, but late. There's only 32 teams. Yeah, he That's got, a lot of picks. That's a lot of rounds. He got slept on big time. And then, worse than 199, worse than 200, in 1994, undrafted Kurt Warner, six years later, wins his first Super Bowl. So how about those facts? Those are pretty fun, right? Yeah. And we're keeping it short and sweet. This is the new format for the Chattelack Checkdown. I'm done with weekly updates. I'm done with stats. I'm done with game updates. If you guys want that, download the ESPN app. It's faster than me anyways. You're going to get fun, interesting, more developed sports stories on the Chattelack Checkdown now. This is your co-host of Midwesterners and lead anchor on the Chattelack Checkdown telling you that you're going to enjoy the Chattelack Checkdown even more now than you have enjoyed the Chattelack Checkdown in the past. How many more times can I plug the Chattelack Checkdown before the Chattelack Checkdown is over? Can you check down the old Checkdown and check up the new Checkdown? Yep. I check can. it out. Check it out. <laughs> All right. Then that is the end of the Chattelack Checkdown this week. We're going to head it over to the best off recommendations to round out the show for this week. Brian, what have you got? I have an interesting pick for this week. So I've been in Power Ranger world for like the past how many weeks because of the Heroes of the Grid board game, which I best stopped last week. This week, I'm going to be best stopping the company that made the game, Renegade Game Studio. I'm going to be best staffing their YouTube slash Twitch channels for their live streams. Because not only do they take this game that they've made and they do live streams every month of playing the game with the different scenarios that they've made that are free online, but it not only gives you a chance to watch other people play it and learn how to play it as well, but it shows you how fun the game is. On top of that, they do live paint streams every month where their painter, whose name is Daddy Louie, from the Circle of Nerds YouTube channel, 
he comes on, he is a beginner slash intermediate painter and he'll take a different ranger monster henchman putty figure and he'll paint it on live stream for about like two hours every month. He'll take a different character. He'll walk you through the process of what he's doing. He'll show you the colors that he's using. And he's at that level where you watch him and you're like, this is doable. And that looks really good. I've been watching these streams like nonstop for like the past month just to get a feel of it because getting into painting miniatures is very daunting. It's a daunting experience. It's a daunting task. You look at some of the things that people can do and you're like, that looks amazing, but I will never be that good because I'm not artistically that good. But then you also look at all the different techniques, all the different equipment that you could use, paints, brushes, airbrushes, varnishes, what have you. And you watch this guy who is beginner to intermediate, been painting for about five years. But he he does it in a way that seems simple enough where it's like, yes, that's possible. I feel like I can do that. I sat down this past weekend and painted my first mini. It took quite a while. I started around 2.30 on Saturday. I ended around 9 o'clock at night. But, sheesh. But this guy turned out thousand times better than I ever expected. And a big portion of that is to Renegades live streams on Twitch and then later uploads to YouTube. They're live stream painting videos where I can look at a guy painting them and they look like something that you would buy off the store shelf. And you're like, that didn't look too difficult. I should be able to do that. He sits down, he tells you the equipment he uses, what paints he uses, what steps to do what to do and what not to do. It doesn't even have to be Power Rangers that you're getting into. If you have any board games, which is why I started to get into this, I got Power Rangers, I got Ninja Turtles, I got Doctor Who. A lot of these different board games that are coming out have dull, gray, unpainted, boring figures that it's like, this would be so much better if they actually had some color to them. The Rangers are a little bit bigger than your normal miniatures that you get in games, so it's a little bit easier to paint. And when you have the company that's not only showing you how to play the game with live streams and showing off all the different expansions and scenarios that they have to kind of enhance that game, but then they're like, we'll even show you how to spruce it up by showing you how to paint it up too. So that is my best stop for the week. Renegade Game Studios. I think it's Play Renegade on Twitch. Otherwise, you can just look up Renegade Games on YouTube and find their channel that way as well. My best stop of the week should be the effort and ability that you put into that because it is super impressive. We will make sure to get the picture of Brian's finished Blue Ranger. Is it Zeo? Yes, Zeo Ranger 3, the Blue Ranger. Zeo Ranger 3. It it is very impressive. It looks very good. For somebody's first time trying to hack, the first time trying to do like anything, it came out super impressive. Really proud of you. But we will get it on the social media so that everybody can see just how good it looks. My best stop for the week is a little backwards because I'm recommending something that I've never actually indulged in. So what? <laughs> the, so what I'm gonna best stop is a Marvel miniseries, a 12 issue limited run from May of '84 to April of '85. And the reason that I can best stop this is because 
the Tell Him Steve Dave Patreon does a podcast that's called I Buy Comics, which is a riff off of I Sell Comics, and where Walt Flanagan, uh, who former manager of The Secret Stash, Brian Quinn uh, of Impractical Jokers, and Brian Johnson, who isn't really uh, knowledgeable on comics, but he was on Comic Book Man, whatever. Uh, they do a show called I Buy Comics, and they featured this comic book run, which is Marvel's Secret Wars. They talked about it for an hour and a half. They gave the whole rundown top to bottom to the point where I felt I had to go out and buy it. So if them talking about it can get me to go buy it, hopefully me talking about it now, and I will give an update when I finish it. I moved it towards the top of my giant stack of books that I need to read. I still haven't read some Christmas gifts that I got, but I'm working on it. And another book that I lent you this and past week. And another book that you lent me that I got to read. <laughs> Um, lots of books. Uh, I got to stop watching so much Bob's Burgers on my days off and I can get some reading done. But just to give a little backstory, Secret Wars was written by Jim Shooter with art by uh, Mike Zeck and Bob Layton. Mike Esposito also did inking on it. Esposito, for those of you who don't know, is a big name in the comic book community. So the Marvel character, the Beyonder, he's a cosmic being fascinated by superheroes and their powers on Earth teleports heroes and villains to Battle World, a planet that he created in a faraway galaxy that's basically stocked with alien tech and weaponry. He brought the Avengers, the X-Men, Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, the Enchantress, Kang the Conqueror, Ultron. He brought everybody. He brought everybody, not everybody, because some people were still on Earth trying to figure out where the hell did everybody go? <laughs> but yes, he brought everyone up there and he basically says, I'm the Beyonder, I'm beyond you, you're going to fight for my enjoyment. Basically, whoever wins gets their wish, whatever it may be, to go back to Earth, infinite wishes, blah, 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 infinite uh, riches, whatever it may be. So there's a handful of different things that like go in this run. Some people say it's not the most favorable run for Marvel. Jim Shooter isn't one of the most renowned writers when it comes to Marvel books, but it is something that sticks in the Marvel mythos forever because it was one of the first really events that Marvel did. Not one of the first, but later one of the more important ones. Things like uh, Hulk Thing actually gets replaced by She-Hulk in the Fantastic Four. One of the biggest sticking points was one of the first couple of covers from Secret Wars where Spider-Man switches from that iconic red and blue suit to the black suit. Like, it was all the rage. You're like, oh my god, a black suit! It really, I mean, it was it was, it was, was good. Like, it changed some of his powers, it enhanced some things. But there were a lot more other things that did happen. The X-Men, Kitty Pride, Colossus, just a lot of different things that happened in the storyline. So, I'm best stopping this prematurely for you guys and myself to go out and read it. So if I read it and I hate it, I'll worse stop it next week. And then you guys can know that if you haven't read it yet, don't read it. I can reassure you that you won't be worse stopping it because I have read this series. You said it's one of the first, it is the first Marvel big event series. So before this, you may have had Spider-Man cameo in a Fantastic Four book, or you had, Iron Man show up in Spider-Man or something like that. But you never had all of these big superheroes and all of these big villains together in one book before. With it being written back in the 80s, the mid to late 80s, expect a little bit of cheese with it. Expect a little bit of some dated storytelling. But there's a lot of important big events from this. Like you said, we get the black suit, symbiote Spider-Man, 
without this event, you don't have Venom. You don't have the road to Venom, which is well worth the read in and of itself. So start here first. The art is really good. I mean, most art back then was pretty good as far as comics go, but the art's really good. It's action-packed. It's fun. It goes in places that you don't quite expect. Of course, your villains aren't always going to team up together to take down the good guys, but your good guys aren't always going to see eye to eye either and work together in the end. But in the end, stuff happens. (laughs) Stuff happens. Yeah, stuff happens. This was... I actually own all of the original printings of this series. Oh, really? Yeah, this was one where my very first Comic-Con I went to, I wanted to get something of significance. And I remembered the Spider-Man cover, issue seven, I think. It's seven or nine, it's one of those. Where he shows up in the black suit, Spider-Man. And I remember always being intrigued by that first cover, that shows all of the heroes and all the villains kind of coming at you with the blue background. And I was always like, I, this is big. This is what I want to read. My first con was back in 20, 2011, 2012. So back then Marvel was still kind of getting big, but they weren't to the level where they are now. So, Ooh, eat. I was right in between. <laughs> Secret Wars number eight is where Symbiote Spider-Man, the black suit Spider-Man, first shows up. Amongst the chaos, a new costume. But anyway, my first con was 2011, 2012. It was one of those. But Marvel wasn't as big as it was now. And this was a series where the 80s, I, I was like, all right, I'm expecting to spend a little more money for this. But it, at the time, that series was actually more on the affordable side. So I was able to go to each booth and hunt down every issue of it. It's now in my fireproof safe at home where it will be remained locked there until either I decide to sell it or I die and my kids sell it off. (laughs) I wouldn't let that happen, except I'll be dead long before you. (laughs) So that, folks, is your best stop for the week, and unfortunately that means it's time to wrap it up. We are your Midwesterners, M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N, E-R-D-S at Twitter and Instagram at gmail.com. The Midwesterners podcast on Facebook. You can also find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Please remember to rate and review us. And for your Midwesterners, I have been Chad Coffin. And I've been Brian Stoffel. And whether it's beer brats, comics or pops, keep keep it nerdy. nerdy.